Happy cold, cold Sabbath. It looks like winter is here to stay, at least in Southern California and in much of the country as we are experiencing what is a generational uh, winter storm across the states. If you are at home, stay bundled up. If you are in a place where you cannot get to church, enjoy a true Sabbath with your friends and family. We are so glad that you have decided to spend your Sabbath morning with us. If you are making your way to church and we are serving as background noise to your preparations as you get ready to head out, please drive carefully, be kind to one another, be patient. Remember that there are many people who are stressed out there on the freeways. We're going to talk about planning and preparing for the future. And so I feel like that public announcement was necessary as you plan for your future today. But before we start with our conversation, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the rain and in some cases the snow, so much snow. We would pray, Lord, that you stay with us uh, throughout the Sabbath. And as the temperature continues to be a bit warmer than, and colder than usual during the next couple of days, we simply would pray that you stay with people who have a challenge uh, finding warmth, that the warmth that is your love and your grace and your mercy be present in our world today and always, we pray in your name. Amen. I've got my co-host, Joey O. Joey, are you cold today? Very cold. <laughs> Very cold. In Southern California, particularly in Loma Linda, we're not used to this kind of weather. So, But it's very much needed. The rain is very needed, and so grateful that it's here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's needed. We just would love it if it didn't come all at once, because at some point... Uh, the floor floods, and so those uh, underwater reservoirs can't uh, absorb the, as much water as, as has been fallen. So I know, I know we're so picky, but if we can have the water just spread out a bit, that, that'll be great. Um, it's been a cold, cold week, uh, not only in Southern California, but in the rest of uh, the Pacific Northwest and in the Midwest. So we are uh, certainly hoping that friends that are watching from home are bundled up and maybe drinking their favorite warm beverage. Yeah. The only challenge with it, if it's spread apart, then it, we would be Seattle, right? We would Where be Where it would Seattle. be sprinkling all the time. We would be Seattle. <laughs> Which wouldn't be bad. We'd have a lot more green here. So we would. Nice. And we'd also have a lot more sadness. No offense to our friends <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, you are absolutely right. We would be Seattle and we are not Seattle. That's why we're not in Seattle. Um, so maybe we'll just take the deluge as it comes. Yeah. yeah. Joey, we're talking about preparing for the future. And as, as I was reading the lesson today, mm -hmm. there were two emotions that kind of hopped up. The first one was, yes, we need to be responsible. Uh, yes, work is a blessing. Yes, hopefully, um, 
we recognize that many of us are blessed in finding not only uh, a means to survive via our work, but meaning in our work, identity in our work. Uh, we are really blessed that we get to do that. So that's gratefulness, I think, in acquiescence was one of the emotions that I felt. I also felt uh, distressed. Mm. And I think the distress comes from because we recognize that as a worldwide church and even a, a church that uh, caters to all different strata in society here in our country, there are some people for whom the conversation of savings and retirement and uh, meaning in our work is, uh, is impossible to have. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people out there, particularly in this current economy, for whom these conversations are impossible. And so I think we want to approach this idea of planning for the future with a mix of gratefulness and gratitude to those of us who are able uh, to have the conversations on saving and on employment and on uh, retirement, along with an ear uh, for the groans and the pangs, uh, those painful pangs that come for people for whom, sadly, that is not the reality. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it also highlights the fact that um, success looks different for each person to a certain extent. Of course, there's general success as, as framed in scripture, right? How God defines success, mm -hmm. which um, really doesn't um, center around material success at all. Although as the, as the lesson points out, um, having you know, material savings and things like that is helpful to living life here on earth, but really centers around this idea of loving God, loving other people, mm -hmm. um, and growing into a person who is becoming like Christ, right? Following in that discipleship journey, like we like to say here at Loma Linda. Um, but outside of that general principle, what that looks like in each of our lives is, is going to be a little mm -hmm. bit different. Some of us have children. Some of us don't have children. Some of us have certain types of jobs. Certain Some of us don't have jobs right now. And so what how that's going to um, be revealed in our lives is going to be different from person to person to circumstance to circumstance. I like how this lesson does give some general principles, but the reality, like you're saying, is that it's not going to look like that in everybody's yeah. life. Yeah, and I think that's why it was really poignant that the lesson started with this idea of success, right? The mm -hmm. very first thing that the lesson says is, you were, we were created for success, but as you're mentioning, success looks differently. I think some wide parameters could be given. I'm reminded of that old uh, maxim uttered by Augustine, our souls are restless, O Lord, until mm. we find rest in Thee. Mm. Uh, so perhaps uh, in, a, in a really broad way, success can look like finding rest mm. in the loving arms of God. And then um, I, I love talking about jobs, but I, I, I think in a, in a culture that uh, has become overly commodified, uh, the conversation of jobs uh, leads to a really materialistic way of, of looking at ourselves and looking at others. And so rather than, than talking about, about jobs and your job and how your job provides identity and meaning or how your job helps you 
uh, discern what success looks like. I'd much rather like the conversation on vocation. Mm. I think the term vocation is a much more helpful term as we are trying to decipher this idea of success. Because if success is ultimately about finding rest in the arms of God, then the way we do that isn't through our jobs, it's through our vocation. And the difference, I think, is that vocation asks a really primal question. At the heart of discerning what your vocation is, is the question, well, what were we created for? And I think the idea of creation, uh, if we go back to, to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, is uh, let us make man in our image. Let us make humankind in our image. And so we were created for communion. Uh, and we were created to love and to be loved. And so that is our vocation. We... We are made for love um, and to to receive love. And I think when you start looking at it and defining it like that, then the old poem, poem, uh, Dr. Lawyer, Merchant, Chief, uh, loses kind of its bite. And we start simply looking at each other as human beings made to love and to be loved. Yeah, I love that because, yeah, especially in our society, there is such a... um, primary emphasis uh, placed on our jobs, mm-hmm. right? I mean, one of the first things we ask somebody when we meet them is, what do you do, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> because you, you have to be doing something with your life, right? And so we ask that question, by what do we do? We're not often talking about vocation. We're actually talking about jobs. Mm-hmm. And yet that's, that's, not, that's not how scripture frames mm. Um, our primary task and our, our primary reason for existing is not so much a job. It's it's surprising to me as you as we read through um, scripture how how few times people's jobs actually were the most important thing mm-hmm. that they did. Like if you read what Moses was a shepherd, right? But then he led the Israelites out of captivity, right? Um, uh, Paul was a tent maker, but no, nobody comments on his tent make, making right. skills, right? right? So, so it, it's it really is surprising. I mean, there were the disciples, many of them were fishermen. So these things were not the primary thing of their lives, even though that's what they got mm. paid to do. Yeah. And um, you know, before our our study, we were talking a little bit about the, the Japanese concept of ikigai, which has become a framework that people like to use to describe their their ideal job. And in this framework, they you know, it's a Venn diagram of four interlap overlapping circles where you have the things that you love, the things that you're good at, the things that the world needs, and what you can get paid for. And ideally, your job is right at the cross section of all four of those mm-hmm. things. If you can find something that you love, that you are good at, that the world needs, and that you can be paid for, that's like, that's right at the mm-hmm. center. But the reality is not everybody is able to find that. Right. And and sometimes our vocation exceeds the bounds of what our job mm. is. Oftentimes it does. And so... Um, I, I really like that point that you're making that we need to focus on vocation rather than, than job. And I think that's one of the pitfalls um, of Western culture, mm. right? Western culture places a primacy on what we do. Yeah. And it's really interesting because Western cu- culture is Protestant primarily. 
And yeah, and, and one of the kind of axioms of Protestantism is that what you do isn't that important. That's mm -hmm. kind of the basis for the whole for the whole Reformation. Yeah. And yet, Protestant culture, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, in in a, in a few minutes about what what the, why that is. But Protestant culture has placed so uh, Protestant Western culture has placed so much impetus on what we actually do, and what that that ultimately does is that you have people who, as the lesson says, have moved away from those income-earning years, and they're trying to define, where's my identity? What is it that I do? Whereas in other cultures, uh, Eastern cultures, uh, or more agrarian cultures, more nomadic cultures, experience is a great tool. So at 70 and 80, you were mentioning Moses, right? Moses is 80 years old when he starts, when he says, well, you know what? I think it's time for a career shift. Um, <laughs> But I think I think it's because some some other cultures around the world are much better equipped to talk about who we are and our identity in terms not of what we do, but in terms of our vocation. And so uh, experience is something that is valued and valuable. And I, I think um, I see you in our in our pastoral meetings and when we get to meet people from all over the conference. And you'll see a pastor uh, from Asian Pacific Ministries that is older than you, and there's always going to be this beautiful defer deference that you that you employ. You even bow to them, mm -hmm. and in that moment, the image that always comes to my mind is how different that paradigm or that framework is than sometimes the framework under which uh, so much of the of the West operates. No, yeah, it is true. There is this. There is that sort of deference given to those that are who are older than me. Um, you see that in a lot of Latin cultures as well, right? That that emphasis on community, emphasis of deference to the older generations. Um, it, sadly, though, I will say that some of those Western values of what mm. you do being more important mm -hmm. than the age and experience, it is creeping mm -hmm. into, at least in Korean culture, I can't speak for the other Asian cultures, but in Korean cultures, I'm seeing that more and more, which is, which is, I feel like we're losing something mm. there. <laughs> we're losing a little bit of something. I, I do think that um, the Western mentality of, of really valuing people for their skills is something that is important mm -hmm. because then we, you give the opportunity for younger generations who may not have experience to take on roles that you may have had to wait years or right. decades to be able to take on. I think there is an importance there. But at the same time, the value of experience and wisdom, um, just the deference to that wisdom is, is also so important. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. The same, I think, is, is true in, in a lot of uh, Hispanic cultures where we do have uh, deference to, to people who are older. But uh, that same phenomena that you're mentioning, I see creeping in uh, to, to our culture where... Um, there is kind of this this idea that what you do ultimately defines you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that your talents and your skill in your skills are gifted by God. Your capacity mm -hmm. to study, for example, gifted by God. Um, and if you are blessed enough to pursue higher education, particularly as it has become increasingly commodified in America, where um, if you're one of our students here, you're going to be paying that debt for the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, if you are blessed to do that, 
then by all means pursue that. Pursue it if it's part of your passion. But don't think that that is all you do. I think that's that's the point that we're trying to make. That is who you are. Your mm-hmm. vocation, as you were uh, as you were mentioning, uh, goes beyond kind of what what God has placed in your heart to pursue as a profession. Yeah, and we see that with the lesson as well because the earning years is just one part mm-hmm. of this lesson. It also talks about um, our relationship with our spouse mm-hmm. and and in parenting and all of these different areas and after the, those years what what our role is so there is there is a sense even in in the lesson itself that 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 is just an aspect of our mm-hmm. lives it is not our primary identity yeah. Yeah. yeah and it shifts it shifts right as you're mentioning in the lesson kind of talked about these dif- these differing seasons in life it shifts right mm-hmm. what we do and what we're called to do how we are called to invest ourselves in the world via our vocation shifts mm-hmm. uh depending on the season of life that we are in yeah. uh my primary vocation right now as at, at if if God has called me to love and to be loved, my pr- the primary place where I employ that is with my two boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my two boys to feel ultimately loved and to be loved. Um, I I also feel like uh, it's important for us, uh, both Linda and I, to uh, actually mirror for them what healthy, loving, co-mutual relationships look like. And so while I get enormous blessings from this from this particular job and from this calling uh, and from this community that is the Loma Linda University Church and all you out there, this isn't my primary vocation mm-hmm. during this season of life. There is there is something more meaningful that I that I am called to uh, when when the camera stops rolling. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and that's. Something that sometimes has gotten lost, um, especially as a pastor working for the church, there's a temptation to say, well, I'm working for God, Mm -hmm. right? My job is to work for God. What could be more important than that? And yet scripture does point to often hazards of when when people who have worked for God have failed Mm -hmm. in their vocation to their family, Mm -hmm. right? Like Eli is a a great example of that. Um, and Ellen White talks about his, it goes a little bit more into detail um, than even scripture does about his failures mm-hmm. as a parent. And so um, it's just a reminder that um, if we, if you are a parent, if we are a parent, that our, our primary vocation, mm-hmm. our fi- pi- primary expression of, like you said, to love and to be loved is, is to our family. Yeah. And, and again, that, that shifts, Joey, I, I don't know if you've ever done this with Sarah, but um, there are times where uh, establishing the hedges or the boundaries between my this call, mm-hmm. which is central, I think, to our identity, um, being pastors. Um, but there, there'll be times when uh, Linda will tell me, "Hey, you're working, you're overworking," mm. or I'll tell her, "You're overworking." And she'll say, well, take it up with my boss. And I mean, how am I going to go to God and say, hey, this person that you've called is is working too much. Uh, but I think what you're what you're talking about uh, ultimately uh, shows that well, regardless of your preparation and your skills mm-hmm. and your talents, there is a deeper reality to which we are all called. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about 
um, the dynamics of how it would be to have two pastors in the family. Yeah, <laughs> Both of you are serving God. Um, it's, um, yeah, in my family, my wife does a great job of reminding me of when I am crossing those lines because I do. I do have a tendency to cross those lines and exceed those bounds in ways that um, hurt my family. And so she reminds me of those things, those lines a lot better. And that's something that I value so much about her is that um, she makes sure that that our family, um, that our kids constantly feel like they're cared for and loved mm. and supported um, and that they are they know that they are still first, no matter what what mm-hmm. el- other jobs that we have, that they are first for mm-hmm. us in 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 the ways that we love them before anybody else. So I think that ultimately um, points to this to this deeper reality about vocation. But the truth is, we still live in a material world, mm-hmm. and we still live in a world in which I mean. I'd love to to have a bartering economy, but we don't. Yeah. Um, and so the lesson does talk about several several examples um, of people who are being called to invest themselves and their skills and their professions into in into acts of worship themselves. I think Joseph is a great example, and the mm-hmm. lesson touches a bit on uh, the story of Joseph, mm-hmm. right? How Joseph goes to Potiphar's house, and uh, Potiphar is immediately blessed. Um, or Jacob, in the story of Jacob and Laban, right? How, how Jacob goes and starts working for Laban, and Laban is immediately blessed. And there is... There is something to this reality. I have to think there is something to this reality of pursuing our professional call Mm. uh, as daughters and sons of God and how perhaps that might be a not only a more ethical and egalitarian way of doing business in the marketplace of life, but it also might be a more success, quote unquote, successful way of doing business in the marketplace of life. Wow. Yeah. That that our Christian identity, our identities as, as followers of Christ are not put aside what the moment we walk mm-hmm. into our stores, shops, businesses, whatever, but that actually influences the way that we operate in, like you said, the marketplace of life. I think yeah. that's powerful. Well, imagine, imagine, and and tell me if, um, and again, I don't know much about administering the house of the captain of the guard or Laban's flocks, but I do know that a, a physician who is a Christian, if his Christianity comes before his identity as a physician or a lawyer uh, practicing law as a Christian and where his identity uh, trumps his, uh, his, his legal degree or a business person uh, practicing uh, business with, uh, with as an ethical Christian woman or man, um, I think that that physician is going to be more empathetic to his patients mm. or to her patients. That lawyer is going to be more uh, driven towards justice to her or his clients. And that business person is going to practice um, a rhythm of life in, in, the, in the business where uh, you won't have maybe these uh, peaks and valleys that we, that we so often uh, face in the market because of 
a lack of ethics. Now, I'm not a, an economist, nor do I pretend to be one, mm. but I think that a society where business principles are looked not just uh, to benefit myself, but to benefit the collective whole probably is going to be a benefit, the pro uh, a society that prioritizes a safety net where there's not going to be these immense gaps that sometimes we have in Western culture. Yeah. So it influences every aspect of how we operate in our lives, right. including our, our jobs, um, because that, that identity of who we are in Christ is primary. Yeah. It's the primary identity it that we carry with us. It kind of reminds me, we, we've been reading a book uh, in our staff worships on peacemaking. Mm. And I remember in one of the chapters, um, a, a pastor, and I don't know if this is a fictitious story or not, but a pastor asks um, some brothers who are in conflict with each other, how, are, how is how you are handling this conflict different than the way a good atheist would? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I read that, I, I thought, first of all, I don't know if I have the courage to ask a question like that to, to people who are in conflict. But it is a good question to ask. And, it, and not just about conflict, but also about the way that we operate. How, how, does, how does how I run this business, how does it differ than how a good atheist would run mm. this business? Or how am I as a physician different than a good atheist as a physician would. So it's a good question to ask because as you said, that is the primary identity mm -hmm. and um, it should be encompassed in the way that we live our lives and, and our vocation mm -hmm. of loving God and loving others. Yeah, so for example, uh, just a, uh, a thought, um, we have a wonderful community here in Loma Linda and it's a community that is always, always extending its resources to meet a need. Now, by no means are the resources unlimited. Uh, contrary to what some of y'all believe, the resources here at Loma Linda are very limited. We just, we get really good at stretching them. And we do them because sometimes we know that there is a need to focus on a particular reality. Mm -hmm. And so resources all the time get diverted. Our business office and our uh, wonderful, wonderful business administrator is constantly doing a juggling act to try and place the, the, the resources that we have in the area that it, that is going to be most beneficial or we're going to get, uh, as is commonly said, more bang for our buck. So, for example, this past week, we had a delegation here, uh, both of lay people and uh, some employees from our church, head out to Turkey uh, to do something really simple. Um, we don't have bulldozers. Mm. Uh, we don't have uh, search and rescue dogs. But we have the capacity to buy water filters. Mm. And we found out that, uh, as in most natural disasters, the first thing that goes along with your capacity for power is uh, the availability of drinking water. Um, and so we decided that the best way of getting the most bang for our buck and helping the most amount of people at the least cost was to take uh, water filtration devices. And so that's that's how we're contributing. Um, it reminds me a bit of uh, the sermon that we had last week in, in uh, as uh, remembering a, the life of, I know, a good friend of yours, Larry Thomas, mm. whose whole philosophy of 
preparing for the future kind of moved in this thesis of how do I help the most amount of people uh, in, in, in a way that is both manageable and doable. Yeah, it's powerful. I, and I love that. I love that our church is involved in those, in those ways of helping people beyond our local community, right? And seeing needs worldwide, seeing needs outside of the bounds of our, uh, of the four walls of our church, right? And and saying, how can we step into those spaces and be, be the presence of Christ mm. in people's lives? And that, that I think that is the calling for all of us, right. not just communally as a church, but individually as people. Wherever we walk, how do we live as ambassadors mm. of Christ's love? And that I think has real implications for on how you prepare for the future. Mm. I'm not saying that you need to divest from your 401k plans or your Roth IR or your Roth or your Roth IRA. And I love, I think this is the first time I've seen uh, the lesson explained so succinctly the difference between a Roth account and a Roth IRA account. Um, but I think the way that you, probably a better metric, and this we can all do, regardless of your financial situation, is to ask myself, how can I prepare for and plan for the future as a, as a person, as a man or a woman that identifies as a Christian to do exactly what you mentioned, mm -hmm. to go and embody and incarnate Christ in those spaces? And I think individually and family, why do we can do it in the same way that our church does it? Again, we understand that regardless of your financial situation and your financial position, resources in any family are limited. I mean, unless you're like Jeff Bezos. But um, as, as far as I know, we haven't gotten Bezos to, um, to convert to our and to become a member <laughs> of our church. So for most of us, Resources are very limited. Mm. And I think the same principle, at least this is a principle that I'm that we're trying to apply in our family, is how do we shift the many or the few resources that we have to, to go out and meet the needs of our family in the places and spaces uh, that we have? I mentioned, for example, that one of my primary vocations, or my primary vocation, is as a father. Mm. So Linda and I had a conversation on finances a, a few uh, few months ago. Linda actually uh, runs the finances in, in my house because she is much less type A than I am. And so she's much better at kind of seeing the big picture and not micromanaging. So we had to start asking ourselves the difference between a need and a want, mm. which is, I think, a really important thing that you do when you start planning and preparing for the future. Yeah. So what, what things do we need? What things do we want? And we wanted to allocate um, some, some more funds for uh, both for our retirement accounts and uh, for our boys' college account because it's, I know you and I have uh, people that are in middle school now. Um, and so that's, that's scary because it's yeah. coming in like five years. So we want to <laughs> build that, that uh, college uh, savings account. And one of the things that was on the chopping block is, uh, like you, we have a family dinner out day mm. during the week. So we pick a restaurant. Usually the kids will uh, rotate 
which means on that day I'm either eating pizza or pasta. Um, <laughs> and going out to a restaurant for a family of four mm. is, uh, man, I remember you could do it for like 30 bucks. <laughs> I know. And now, I mean, you can't get in and out of a place for less than $80. So when we're thinking about it, Linda and I are saying, man, 300 and some dollars yeah. a month. Yeah. We're spending on this, on this kind of routine thing that we do is that a need or is it a want mm. and we debated that for a long time and we decided that it was a need mm. and it was a need for a lot of reasons that's kind of uh, an environment that's different so we can have our family council there and uh, there's not the stress that uh, somebody needs to pick up and clean up the kitchen which is usually either Lynn or I and so there were a lot of benefits kind of to have an unhurried and unharried unharried evening out uh, and yes I mean can I use an extra three hundred dollars a month in my in my retirement account yes and I, I I assume if I asked a financial manager they'd say you need to scrap that yesterday. But um, we're also thinking, well, how do we best prepare for our future considering that our primary vocation is to be parents to those boys? And I figure um, that's an investment that hopefully will pay out. So that's just something practical that we're doing where we're having to adjust uh, resources that are that are limited and move them around to areas that where we see need. Yeah, I think that's 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 beautiful. Yeah, speaking of thirty dollars, when we began that practice, it really did cost like maybe thirty five dollars, especially with soup plantation oh. around, and they had the coupon oh, with the family. yes. It was like it was under thirty dollars. It was so great. <laughs> but now, oh my goodness, post pandemic, food costs have just skyrocketed, and I understand it's 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 a challenge for people running restaurants as well because all the cost of labor and the mm -hmm. cost of of food has gone up and which is why they're having to raise prices but yeah it is it is a sizable investment and yet it is an investment mm -hmm. i love how you how you frame that that um that the ways that you use money will change because you have a different perspective on vocation than perhaps someone who is not a Christian, mm -hmm. um, who isn't a follower of God would. Now, not saying that they won't also have family dinner nights, but that that the ways that we spend our money, the ways that we use our money, the ways that we use our time, the ways that we invest ourselves have to be different, um, which is why um, um, Jesus talks about where your <laughs> where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right. That's an indicator of where our passions and our our voca true vocations um, yeah. line up is where we spend our money. Yeah, and so there's this constant balancing act, which I think is what you're hinting at, mm -hmm. between Jesus's, hey, uh, place your treasure in heaven because nobody's going to steal it, and moth isn't moth isn't going to corrupt it. And, and then Jesus also says, don't worry about tomorrow, kind of live for today. Uh, but the reality is, it's responsible. Yeah. And I think the lesson really does a good job at saying, hey, look, look, it's important to think about, about mm -hmm. tomorrow. And so it's this constant balancing act between having faith and being faithful. Mm. Having faith is believing, hey, God is going to take care of me in the future. Yeah. Um, I am going to live 
today and live today as best as I can. And then being faithful is thinking about tomorrow. How do I create and nurture some habits that are going to be really helpful and that are going to serve me well, whether that's your family dinner or maybe putting an extra, putting away uh, an extra couple of bucks in your savings account at the end of the month in case there's an emergency. Uh, whatever that looks like, I think that is part and parcel of being faithful. Oh, what a great way to put it. Having faith and being faithful, that, that balance of trusting in God and yet still doing the things that we need to do in order to be good stewards of, of the time and energy and, and, the, and the resources that God has given to us. And, you know, all of these things that we've talked about, how, we sh how our focus as Christians should, our identity as Christians should bleed into every aspect of our lives, that's, that's, that's found also, that principle is found in Colossians, yeah. right? That, that passage that the lesson starts with, Colossians 3. Um, I think you have it there. You you do what? too. Uh, so it starts with verse 23, right? So do you want to read it? I feel like I'm always reading the scriptural passages. <laughs> sure. So uh, I'll, I'll let you read it this time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human ma masters. Um, and since you know that you will be receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Mm. Can you believe that? Like, I mean, it feels so apropos with mm -hmm. what we've been talking about, right? Yeah. Whatever you do, work with all your heart because you're working for, for the Lord. And that, again, speaks about vocation. Mm -hmm. uh, because whether, you know, one of my favorite people uh, here at the church is uh, one of our custodians. Mm. She makes the best beans, by the way. <laughs> um. But every time she sees me, uh, regardless of what time I come in, um, she's tired. And uh, she, uh, she looks at me and this kind of smile mm -hmm. lights up. And usually, as you know, our offices are, are in front of the restrooms. And so sometimes I'll see her, uh, her station outside of our restrooms and she'll, pop, she'll hear the door open and she'll, she'll pop up. And she'll greet me with this this smile, mm. and it'll just melt my heart. Yes. And I know you've had the same experience. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this particular verse, and I was saying, "Wow, if I'm cleaning a restroom, mm. which I mean, I don't, I can't think of any task that is most that is that can be more distasteful than that, mm. um, or more frowned upon than that." Mm. If I'm doing that, and then I have the capacity to turn and see someone and greet them with a smile and say, hey, it's so good to see you. How's your, how's your wife? How are your kids? And, and just engaging in a conversation where she is truly present. Yeah. That's vocation. Mm -hmm. That's vocation being lived out in her profession as a custodian. But it's, it goes beyond that because I get yeah. the same smile in the same conversation when I see her outside of, of that of, of a particular profession. And I think that's really important, Joey, what you're saying as far as whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you're working for the Lord. That is, that is how you bring vocation into your profession. Yeah, I love that. And yes, I've had that same experience with her. Always has a smile on her face. And, 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's the point of this passage, because we, we normally just take this out as as it's for a verse on its own, but it's connected in, in these household instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he speaks to wives, he talks, speaks to husbands, to children, to fathers, and then he speaks to slaves. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the verse that immediately follows mm-hmm. the instructions to the slaves. And, you know, you could say, well, actually, Paul is talking to everybody, but really it's right after he's talking to slaves, right. which... Which, I mean, is a little bit mind-blowing. And, you know, I don't think Paul is advocating for slavery because there's elsewhere he talks about how how um, there is no difference in Christ, slave or free. But he's saying that even if that is your current job, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as no, mm-hmm. as, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Um, he's saying that no matter what position you're in, you can follow this principle no matter where, what your job is or what you're doing for your work, you can do this. I'm also reminded of another person. There was, when I was growing up in my town in Windsor, there was this, for a long time, there was road construction happening right by our entrance to the freeway. And there was a police officer out mm. there. And um, he was a traffic officer and he would be directing traffic. And it's a thankless job. I mean... <laughs> It's rush hour. Everybody's trying to get somewhere, and you have the unenviable task of making sure that everybody's supposed to do what they're supposed to do, right? And yet, he would be out there with this big smile on his face, waving to people, like pointing directions. It actually became a thing. Like, it was like a treat to go yeah. to that intersection. People actually looked forward <laughs> to going to that intersection with that police officer just because of how, and I never spoke to him once, right. but just just the way that he, he smiled at people, the way that he was almost like dancing as he was <laughs> directing traffic, it was like, it was infectious. And I remember talking to people who lived in our area, like everybody knew that guy oh, and wow. just the impact that he had on a day-to-day basis just because of how the attitude and approach he brought to work. Yeah. I think that was beautiful. And I think that cuts I, both ways, right? You were mentioning uh, how both you and I don't believe that Paul is actually advocating for slavery mm. in, this, in this particular chapter because it doesn't gel with the Pauline, uh, with the corpus of Pauline writings. Uh, so he's asking the question, how do I, at the bottom of the societal rung, how do I live out my life as a believer of God? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that those at the bottom of the societal rung have to take abuse or no. oppression. Yeah. And the reason why we kind of feel like we need to point that out is because chapter 4, verse 1 follows, right? Masters, provide your slaves yeah. with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. That's true. So it's asking the question of both the people at the very top mm-hmm. of the a societal ladder and those at the very bottom of the societal ladder act as if you are working for the Lord. And I think something miraculous and magical is would happen if both people, both these groups acted as if they were working for the Lord. And that is that the societal ladder disappears. Yeah. It disappears because as uh, as people of privilege, we are acting and advocating for those that have less privilege because that's our responsibility as Christians. And as people of uh, lesser privilege, we're acting and caring in love and in compassionate ways uh, because that's our command as Christians. And when we do that, 
we start seeing each other as people and these these differences that we build um, begin to melt away. And what a wondrous future that would be. Yeah, I love that. Those um, We begin to see each other as people. And that's the seed that Paul seems to plant in his letters, mm-hmm. right? He, he sets that. Because the only way that you can really be comfortable with slavery and owning another human, and especially some of the atrocities that happen between mas- that masters would inflict on slaves. Not all masters did that, but some of the atrocities that ma- is by dehumanizing mm-hmm. them and seeing other people as not true, full people like we are. I mean, that, and we saw that in the theology of people, in, 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 of, 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 of slave owners, that they didn't actually, they saw them, other slaves as uh, they saw slaves as subhuman Mm -hmm. and so in this in this in this passage and in other passages throughout scripture paul seems to be planting those seeds of remembering actually just because someone is a slave right now doesn't mean they're they're Mm -hmm. any lesser than Mm -hmm. you as a master right now we're all equal in the Mm -hmm. sight of god so treat each other that way regardless of what they are task to do Mm -hmm. at this moment. Yeah, and that I think would be a really helpful piece of advice for us in Mm -hmm. our current society that privileges titles so Mm -hmm. much, right? We love love titles and we adore status. We love status. And so what is really counter-revolutionary about this, this view that God is giving us as we plan and prepare not only for our future, but for the kind of world we want our, children's, uh, our children to inhabit, is this counter-revolutionary uh, image, right? Where you don't take up arms and go dethrone and uh, defrock and overthrow the government. Mm. That's not what's advocated for here. What's advocated is actually really simple. You step out into a world that has markedly different values than you do, uh, that has extremely different priorities than what you have, and you act as a Christian. I know, shocking. You act as a Christian, and when you do that, the whole world changes. The discourse changes. And I um, I found this so powerful in an experiment I've read uh, that's going uh, that was going on at a Christian college uh, in the South, where some students were invited to intentionally go in to probably the most polarized place in the world, and that is uh, chat rooms. Mm. So you would go into these chat rooms where people, uh, under the cloud of anonymity, are speaking. Uh, And like you're saying, completely dehumanizing each other. And the assignment was simply go be a presence for Christ in that uh, fraught environment. And would you believe it? The injection of these these students acting and talking uh, like Christians in this really polarized and dehumanizing conversation immediately brought brought the tension down. Um, and so I think when we think about a Christian revolution, yeah. uh, much in the same way that Martin Luther King talked about it, it's not about going out and picketing and maybe even taking up our arms and saying, well, we got to overthrow the government because after all, Jesus said that he came to set the captives free. It's actually much simpler than that. Mm. It's just stepping out into a world that is different and living out our life as Christians. Wow. <laughs> Whether you are... 
janitor, whether you are a behind a keyboard in anonymity on um, Facebook or social media, whether you are whether you are um, you are a slave or a master or a husband or a child or a father or a wife, mm. wh whatever we are, we should come forward and our identity in Christ should be primary to everything that we do. Amen, because that's our vocation after yeah. all. Well, Joey, we've had a wonderful conversation, but uh, it's getting a little cold in the studio. So uh, we're going to go ahead and have you pray, and then we'll see you all next week. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you so much for being a God who was willing to step into the mess of this world, the mess of our lives, and to show your love to us, to show what us what it truly means to love you and to love others. Um, and then you invited us to step into that world as well. And so we ask that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that we are able to love like you love. Amen. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as you step in and plan and prepare to step into a week in a world that has vastly different values and that prioritizes different things, may you step into those spaces fully aware that you do not walk alone, for Christ goes before you. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next Sabbath.